It's Monday, April 29th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker. Happy Monday, guys. Hello. Thank you. Uh, we were out last week. We were out on Thursday at Foolapalooza, our annual meeting, and uh, as we were just chatting about uh, a good time, a good a time, very good time, and a and and a a productive meeting. Like it, we just felt good about the business of the Motley Fool. Would you agree with that, Bill? Lar- largely productive, with one exception. With which one, we, Claire, we're not going to talk about. But we're not going to talk know, about. Just, you know, keep it an inside joke because audiences love that. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Let's just say you walk out of those things every year. You always learn something very valuable. Whether think- it's good or bad, there there are lessons learned, and that's you know that's overall good. All right, we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to look back at a couple of the stories that we missed late last week uh, with Starbucks and Intuit. We're also going to talk about Disney, uh, which is hitting a new all-time high today. But look, let's start with Starbucks. Starbucks also hitting a new all-time high this morning in the wake of second quarter earnings. Uh, this is last week. Sales yeah. in the U.S. up seven percent, um, and we've talked about this before uh, as a shareholder and as a, someone who frequents Starbucks a great deal. The thing I was the most excited about was it seems like for the first time they've really detailed the plan to roll out the La Boulange acquisition in the United States really over the next year and a half. It seems like that test has been going well for them in Northern California. Yeah, it has. And I mean, that's one test of, of many that they've been, that they've really been working on. I think the bottom line though is when you look at a report like this, you look at a call like this and you almost, I, I feel like as an investor, you can't afford not to have Starbucks in your portfolio. I mean, I think this is one of those companies that as a long-term investment, it's just it's going to be a win. I think they've done a great job in nurturing that brand over the past what forty two years or so. Uh, they continue to roll out new products and they continue to find new levers to pull in order to grow the company. I mean, just a few years back, we're looking at this thing somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty dollars, and everybody uh, or many people felt like it was very fairly valued to richly valued. Didn't know that necessarily there were any really growth levers left. But now, when you look at this, just from the food aspect, uh, from China, wow! I mean, I thought it was really. Really great in the call to see, uh, you know, the mention of the, the channel development segment, uh, rolling out into China. They're looking at, at rolling that out into China to, to take more of these sort of grocery store style, uh, share. And I think that's just a, another way for them to, to, you know, continue to grow revenue over time. It's just, just running, running on all cylinders, as Ron would say, right? But how much of the investing thesis should be based on China? Because yes, it's, yes, it's a, it's a huge market, <laughs> but when you look at it in the context of how many locations they have, they've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 18,000 around the world. Only about a thousand of that is in China. It, I mean, is that the sort of thing that you should be banking on? I think you should look past China into general Asia Pacific because once you look at the Asia Pacific region, there's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of four thousand stores here in the next, uh, you know, in the coming uh, next couple of years. And so I think that you can look sort of beyond the China uh, story over to, to the Asia Pacific in general. And I agree with you. I mean, I, I tend to, I, I am just a bit of a skeptic on China as far as as what. Uh, you know what if any investment thesis should be based solely on that i think it could be uh you know some some nice uh, additional growth to be had there and if you can you know, get the stock uh, the, at a reasonable price so that it's not necessarily reflective of that opportunity then you're getting a better deal i don't like depending on china for a thesis to come through but 
like you said, with with the La Boulange, I mean, that's they view that as really their biggest opportunity. I mean, Troy Alston, the CFO, has said that time and time again. And the beauty of that is that it's essentially it's an incremental revenue style product. In other words, the, the beverages are the higher margin sales, but they're looking at the food as someone's going to go into Starbucks and buy the beverage and add the food to their ticket. So it's additional as opposed to uh, something that would take the place of. And I think that's a big deal. Well, I, I think something to focus on, though, is that at today's prices, which we have to talk about at some level, you are investing in China being mm-hmm. a success uh, because, you know, to go by the shorthand it, it, with the stock at a, a multiple of 30 times earnings right now, uh, it's uh, been a great performer. Uh, it deserves uh, a premium. But at, at that price, you are not going to be able to get to a valuation that supports uh, sixty sixty five dollars a share without China being part of your future cash flow considerations, and you know they have yet to succeed anywhere uh, as well as they have in the U.S. Uh, very few things have succeeded anywhere as well as Starbucks has succeeded in the U.S. You're drinking Starbucks right now, Chris. I happen to be drinking Starbucks. Um, so uh, I drank Starbucks earlier. <laughs> I, and and that's probably not yeah. not spread. We've three people who all have had the product already today, yeah. and some of us will have more as oh, the day absolutely. goes along. <laughs> uh, and 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 that's part of the coffee culture in this com- uh, company. I, I meant to say country, but company also applies. And uh, whether China uh, can deliver any kind of percentage uh, of what it has in the U.S. is is a challenge and an opportunity, and it's part of what you're investing in uh, at this price. I think uh, it may have been. The last time you were on Market Foolery, I think you made you were the one who made the point about how it's kind of amazing that they've done what they've done in the U.S. without ever really getting food right. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm wondering, I haven't been out to Northern California to you know test for myself the La Boulange products, that sort of thing. But, I mean, when you think about what that could mean in the U.S., if they are successful in rolling that out over the next year and a half... Does that bump up the premium even more? More money. Uh, what it could mean, I, yeah. I mean, Starbucks does have plenty of opportunity to get food right. Uh, and uh, I, I haven't sampled this uh, new fare of theirs. Uh, I, I really haven't had much from there since Krispy Kreme left. Right. Uh, that was good stuff. I, not to you say anything against your Dunkin' Donuts. No, no, no. That's <laughs> fine. But I, I've said before, just, you know, just... Maybe that's the way to go. Just until you get the La Boulange, do a short-term partnership, at least in the Northeast or Mid-Atlantic United States, and get some Dunkin' Donuts in there. Well, uh, Dunkin' Donuts has got its own coffee plans. Yeah, I guess. that's so true. That, that would be tough. Idea. <laughs> uh, but I am curious uh, if any of our dozens of listeners are in Northern California and have tested out the La Boulange. Email us, radio at fool.com. I am curious to know. Sort of, Starbucks is out there on this call saying, "Yeah, this test has been successful for us." I'm going to take them at their word, but I would personally feel better if I knew that there were people out there saying, "Oh no, wait, just just you wait till you you see this stuff. It's going to be fantastic." Yeah, I've never tried it myself. Obviously, I mean, being here on the East Coast, it's targeted to be out in every company-operated store by the end of 2014. I think it's worth noting, though, that they do see not not only Starbucks, but other restaurants like McDonald's. We've heard McDonald's talking about potentially rolling out their breakfast menu to being an all-day uh, affair, which I think they just see that 
that sort of, of demographic, that, that sort of a target that, that seems to, you know, go on all day. People like stopping in to get their, their coffee and an additional breakfast sandwich or biscuit or whatever. And so Starbucks sees that opportunity with the Starbucks stores as well as, you know, the Seattle's best uh, opportunity there. We're going to be rolling out those little 400 square foot boxes where you drive, they're drive through onlys and then they'll drive up to get, uh, you know, coffee and a breakfast. Why don't we have more of those on the East Coast? I imagine we probably go out west. Those little coffee thing drives through things, and it's 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 like twenty feet of space, and and they serve you. And that's all I want. I don't want to have to get out of my car, (laughs) you know. And I don't I don't need a I don't need a third place. My car is my third place. What are you talking about? Yeah, with the commuting you do, your car is your third. That would explain. I mean, all of sixty percent of the new stores Starbucks is putting up will have drive-throughs. So again, I mean, I think they're recognizing that demographic and that opportunity there that's that's still really relatively untapped. On Thursday, shares of Intuit fell 10% after the company lowered guidance for the third quarter. Uh, Intuit is the company that makes TurboTax and personal finance software. Uh, this was the comment that surprised me, Jason. Uh, basically, the executives coming out and saying, uh, yeah, the consumer tax business hasn't been as strong <laughs> as we had expected. I'm sorry. Didn't we just get done with tax season? Should I don't own shares of this company, but I would find that terrifying if I were a shareholder or a prospective shareholder. Yeah, it just it got really easy to do your taxes last year. <laughs> Maybe you you didn't notice that? Uh, no, it's super easy now. No, anybody can do it. <laughs> I think that's what scares me about about Intuit in general. I mean, they are so levered to their tax products. Made a forty five percent of their operating income comes from TurboTax, and I'm I'm just going out on a limb here, and I'm going to make the the prediction that as time goes on, taxes are going to become more difficult to file and not less difficult. I think that our tax code is going to become more nebulous and ununderstandable than than more clear. Which so to me, I feel like we're looking at something where, I mean, Intuit's done a very good job, obviously, with TurboTax over over the you know, over its lifetime. But it's not like they own that market. I mean, only twenty one percent or so of all tax returns are actually filed using TurboTax. And so to me, it's just it's a platform. It's it's a it's something that's just ripe for disruption. It's ripe for someone to come in there and try to make it better. And I think that they've been enjoying the fact that they've basically taken you know this this absurd tax code that we have and made it somewhat easy for someone to go ahead and just fill in the blanks and file their taxes and be done with it, right? But I think that as time goes on. I just I have to believe that that someone else out there finds this to be at least a potential opportunity in, in making a better product, and that's that's what scares me about Intuit as a company. I I yeah, there are a lot of different ways you could try to predict what's going to happen with the tax yeah. code, and and all of them would be equally uninformed in my case. But <laughs> but what I was it's Intuit may be the culprit here. The thing that allows more than anything else the tax code to get infinitely complicated. Because when you use it, as as more and more people do and and need to now, uh, it it does simplify the process to the average consumer to the extent that no matter how bizarrely complicated the tax system gets, you can do your taxes relatively easily. Now, who knows how accurate you know these these returns are, how much of of your return potential return you could be getting. I'm sure somebody's out there measuring that, but it feels like you're doing things the right way. And, and so while there are plenty of movements to simplify the tax code, Intuit may have done more in that regard than anything else and, and have made some of those arguments irrelevant. 
A very good friend of mine used to work for, um, and I, I won't get the name of the organization correctly, um, but it's essentially the... Let's uh, call it Dave, then. <laughs> it's essentially the, the National Association of Accountants. Dave. <laughs> um, and we were talking one time, and, and to make a long story short, he basically said, oh, th- this is an organization that has not only no interest in the tax code getting simplified, they have every incentive to make sure it's as complex as possible. Oh, there's no question. I mean, they're making it so that people like us want to go pay for their services, right. which, I mean, I think we, we probably have all hit that and point. I th- I mean, I- and on that, you know, and in that sense, Intuit and H&R Block are in lockstep with one another because they, you know, they want it to r- remain complex because they they want people to either go to H&R Block and, and deal with the human being who's going to help them or buy TurboTax and say, well, I'm going to do this myself. But I mean, of the two, I'm one of those people who just hates the process so much that I'm more than willing to pay money to have someone else do it. So the whole notion of, oh, this is really simple to do and you can do it yourself, that that still holds no appeal for me whatsoever. Yeah. And I mean, like, I'll just say, I mean, we've used TurboTax and this was our final year using it. We're done. We're cooked. It's over. Party's done. I mean, it's just got to the point where it's not so easy to do anymore. And even last year, we had a situation where we're filing uh, for Virginia and for Georgia. And so, I mean, pulling off a dual state filing, there were just there were more questions than answers. And it it was not something where it was so simple for us to be able to just go in and do it. Uh, We had to call someone, have someone assigned to the case. So I just, you know, we both came to the resolution, my wife and I did, that, you know, for us, TurboTax simply does not serve a purpose. And it's much better to go ahead and put our stuff off on someone else, just hire a family accountant. We got a tax guy and now that's, you know, that's taken care of. But now, I mean, it's, it's interesting to to wonder, I mean, how, how much, you know, how much of a market penetration they have in regard to a CPA accounting software and whatnot. I'm really not sure of that. But I think just looking at it from a stock perspective, you look at Intuit, you look at H&R Block, which is also publicly traded. And over the last couple of years, H&R Block is just, the stock is just crushing Intuit's and I, I think your example is, is part of the, that, that to me illustrates, uh, the situation and in some ways the challenge for Intuit because at the end of the day, no matter how easy they say the software is going to make it, it's still incumbent upon consumers, an increasing number of consumers saying, yes, I want to do this myself. And I, I I'm just one of those consumers who is probably never going to make that leap, no matter how easy they make it. Well, but you've, you've got a number of people coming up, uh, into the employment ranks, not enough, but, uh, as they get out of college and, and all who are more used to doing everything online, um, and, and doing harder things than, than filling out taxes, uh, as few of those things as there may be these days. So, you know, you've always, you've got more people who are, uh, graduating into the usership roles, I think, than, you know, my parents, your parents, probably who who are not going to ever do the taxes right. themselves. Uh, you know, and who are going to stick with the accountant. So, I, I think the demographics are are going to aid them in that regard. That now, that's not the whole story. I mean, you've still got all the rest of their business. You get quicken. You've got you know things we're not even bothering to talk about. Yeah. Um, because I don't know who uses quicken these days. 
Someone must. Someone must. Somebody. But yeah. I know there are, there's a number out there that says a lot of small businesses don't. But I, I mean, I guess my the where I where I fall down on this is because TurboTax is so well known and, and relatively, you know, speaking, a market leader in, in regard to electronic tax filing. I mean, I, I look at those with, you know, I, I I look at them with a little bit more skepticism, as in someone is getting ready to come try to knock you off your perch. Uh, someone's out there going to try to figure out how to build a better mousetrap. So even though the stock is trading at a discount to where it was a week ago, you're you're not. I, I mean, I know I'm I'm going against a, <laughs> a little bit against party line here. It's a recommendation, obviously, in Stock Advisor and in Motley Fool One, uh, but it's not one that that I am the most enthused over, and I would probably look elsewhere. No, you're the most enthused over Starbucks. You're saying that you cannot afford not to own Starbucks. I am saying that. I think <laughs> if you buy Starbucks There's no today, price at which anybody now. is responsibly investing without <laughs> owning Starbucks is what I hear you I saying. I think you need to have it in your portfolio. All right. uh, part of my takeaway from what you said about the next generation is that among the three of us and our producer, Mac, we got 10 kids. And I figure decent chance that one of those ten ends up being an accountant, and that I can just offload, offload my taxes to them. That would be nice. Uh, shares of Disney hitting a new all-time high today. I think there are two reasons for this. One is that UBS upgraded the stock, uh, and maybe the reason they did that is the second reason, which is that Iron Man three, which opens in the United States this coming weekend, has already ov- uh, opened overseas, and has grossed a hundred ninety-five million dollars. That's a whole lot of money, Bill. Yeah, overseas is where the money is. These and this, days. It, it hasn't even opened in Russia or China or Germany. Um, I, it, this, this seems to bode well for, for, uh, at least for what Iron Man 3 is going to do for Disney. Yeah, it bodes well for Iron Man 4. It yeah. bodes well for Robert Downey Jr. It bodes well, and, and for Disney. And Disney has done, wow, they've done a good job of, of almost everything, but, you know, not only, Growing the organic stuff, but their acquisitions um, have been superb. Um, they've they've bought high in some senses. Uh, Pixar and, and Marvel, they did not get those assets uh, cheap. But True. Uh, you know, whereas once upon a time, I think probably when we were first uh, having kids, uh, we would have thought of Disney as a very limited. You know, there's there's ABC. And ESPN, but the Disney brand itself was was sort of for young kids. Yes. And now I don't know how much of the Disney Channel is on in your house, but Plenty. it's way a too lot. much yes. in my house. <laughs> and and that's not aimed at you know your. I guess there's another channel that is aimed for the younger kids, but the the all the kids in my house are watching these Disney shows on the Disney Channel or Disney X. or whatever it yes. is. And so they they're capturing people uh, throughout, and they're promoting Iron Man 3 on on the uh, those shows relentlessly. Yeah. I you know, I hadn't thought of it in those terms before, but when but uh, I mean you're absolutely right about the acquisitions which as we've talked about before, plenty of companies screw up acquisitions all the time. So the fact that they have done done so um, even paying a premium for Pixar and Marvel, but they've done so so brilliantly and seamlessly worked them into their other channels is amazing. But I hadn't really thought about it in terms of sort of growing the demographic. It's not just that they're, you know, they're taking their brand and leveraging it, but they've taken what was something that was, as you said, aimed at young children. And now, I mean, I, I don't think my kids are going to see Iron Man 3, but I know plenty of people in our office. I know plenty of our, our coworkers who are going to see Iron Man 3. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's slated to be the first billion-dollar movie of the year, so they're obviously doing something right. But I think that's in line with their acquisitions. I mean, what they've done so well is identifying targets that fit within their wheelhouse, so they're able to make a great movie with Iron Man, for example, string that out for a three. Who knows? There probably will be an Iron Man four, five, maybe six. It seems like this this story could go on really indefinitely, and then you'll have the reboot at some point, like they've done with Spider-Man and Batman. And so it's something that will just have a life of its own after a while. But, but the... Just sort of the continuing life of Iron Man past the movies into the ride at the Disney parks, the yeah. toys that they sell, the the you know, whatever they put on their channels that, that are in our houses, uh, you know, twenty four seven. So I, I think they just they do a really good job of identifying those those excellent franchises that have long life periods. I think they've probably done it again with Star Wars. Uh, being a Star Wars fan, I, I'm hopeful that they have, but but I think that that's going to more than likely fall into another, uh, you know, one of Bob Iger's well-done columns. Oh, yeah, you have to assume that it will. And for a, one reason that I come back to a lot, which is easy act to follow. I mean, people want Star Wars to yeah. succeed. People are disappointed with the last, you know, 20 some years of Star Wars non-films or the films that came out. Right. And so th- once upon a time, I think after the first three films, people would have been aghast at the idea of Disney disnifying Star Wars. But at this point, having shown what they can do with action movies uh, on the Marvel brand, uh, I-, I think there's a lot of pent up demand to see what some non George Lucas entity can do. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side of Easy Act to Follow, you, you know, invoking the name of Bob Iger, his track record as CEO at Disney has been amazing. Yeah. And when I look at, when, as a shareholder, when I think about sort of, hey, we're still a couple years away from Star Wars, even the fact that the shares are at an all-time high, I, I feel very good about this stock. I'm not looking to add to it today, but I can think of a lot worse places for my money. That said... Uh, the only thing that concerns me about Disney, and it's not a big concern, but the only red flag I see is at some point Bob Iger is going to decide he no longer wants to be CEO, and that is going to be an incredibly tough act to follow. That is, but I, it's got to be a pretty fun company to run, don't you? <laughs> I would think. I mean, don't, <laughs> yeah. What do I feel like doing today? You know, and and it was like, well, I'll, I'll do a little work on ESPN today, or I'll, yeah. I'll work on the, you know, the kids stuff, or the the movie, or you know, the the parks. It's 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 all kind of happiness producing stuff, and they succeed at it. And uh, as opposed to being the CEO at Intuit, where it's like, ooh, what what, what personal <laughs> finance software do I want to tinker with today? International paper. We're going to the dentist. Yeah. <laughs> Jason Moser, Bill Barker, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Forward. Our producer is Matt Creer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.